Hey, before we start this episode, just want to remind you that the Fearless Woman's Guide to Starting a Business is available everywhere that you like to buy books, and you can get it in paperback, Kindle, and even as an audiobook. I'll have links on where you can purchase in the podcast notes. Okay, back onto the show. You are listening to One Broken Mom, a podcast dedicated to raising awareness about mental health, parenting, and self-improvement. I'm the host, Ami Quirconi. One Broken Mom is not a family show. It is intended for adults only and may contain adult language. Sometimes the topics are serious, but you can count on the episodes to be entertaining. Also, One Broken Mom is not offering any psychiatric or medical diagnosis. We're just here giving away useful and important information. So if you're ready to hear real talk by real people so that we can all get better together, then you're in the right place and welcome. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to One Broken Mom. I have with me Carrie Hummingbird. And first of all, love the name. Um, <laughs> I mean, so organic and, and uh, just beautiful. She's actually a soul guide. And she also has her own podcast called The Soul Nectar Show. She is the author of an international best-selling book called The Second Wave, Transcending the Human Drama, and the award-winning best-selling book, Awakening to Me, One Woman's Journey um, to Self-Love. Sorry, let me continue the title there, um, which <laughs> describes the early years of all of her spiritual awakening. Um, she is inspirational. She's a leader and she's a coach. And she has a newer book that's actually called Love is Fierce, Healing the Mother Wound. And that's what I'm really excited about having her on with me today to talk about. Because when you have a show called One Broken Mom, we got to talk about moms and our relationships and our experiences with it. So welcome to the show today, Carrie. Oh my God. Thank you so much, Ami, for having me on. I'm really excited to be here. Uh, this is my jam. I love meeting other moms and I love meeting other moms who are like, yeah, I was told I was broken, but I'm actually a superhero. <laughs> so <laughs> I really love that. And I love inspiring other moms to realize that they're superheroes too. Yeah, cool. Well, and you know, the journeys that we have, like, you know, I, when I started my podcast way back in the day, I was actually, I thought I would just interview just moms and I would examine the, the concept of mother from a lot of different perspectives, cultural perspectives, historical, uh, you know, as well as the therapeutic and psychological and, and all that stuff. And then I, my own journey carried me through the show to, towards really just childhood trauma in general and, you know, its history, its impact, the neuroscience, what it does in relationships and parenting, as well as professional and, and all of that stuff. And, um, and, you know, I, I really, I made this stance that like, and I said this way back in the day, like the most powerful figure in our life, I, I stand by this, is our mother. Even if we didn't have a mother, even the absence of the mother can actually be a profound impact in our life. And so when the, the, the biologically connected nurturer, if there's something wrong with that connection, it, it becomes like the, the ground for everything else that just kind of can build from there and stuff. And, um, and that's why, you know, to me, it was like my show is One Broken Mom was, you know, just this acknowledgement of the healing that I know I needed to do because I was unaware I had to do it beforehand. So beforehand, I was a perfect mom. I was a great mom. I was a weird mom because I, you know, had tattoos and stuff and I wasn't like the rest of the soccer moms, like all the labels we want to throw on there. But once there was this, wow, I don't have tools. I have skills. Um, I have a, uh, a relationship with a mother that is nearly non-existent and it's fractured and, you know, um, it is angry. Like there's a lot of anger in there. That's why as mom today, I have difficulties being the mother that my children actually need. And so it wasn't ever this reckoning of weakness. It was this reckoning of, wow, now I have this power to do something about that. And that's where then my, you know, my show became this message to be able to bring that to other people. And so, you know, I'm really excited to talk with you about your journey and your relationship with your motherhood and, um, and your mom and how it actually influenced you to where you are today. So where would you like to pick up your story and begin well, for us? Uh, thank you. I love what you, everything you just said, I was resonating so strongly with it. Yes, yes, yes. And yes. And, you know, I just felt like, um, I had this realization that I'm not fitting in with everybody else that seems to be having an easy time at this mother thing. And I'm really not having an easy time with this mother thing. And I don't know why. And I'm willing to do whatever it takes to, to change that because I love my, my baby. You know, this is when I first got 
um, had my first son. I was 30 years old. He's now 21. So you can do the math and, you know, realize mm -hmm. I'm in menopause. You know? Same age. But, I got a 19 yeah. year old and 30. Yeah. So same. <laughs> yeah, me too. My other one's about to turn 19. So it's like, well, I, uh, I had this choice to make. It was kind of like I was fitting into this um, the maiden archetype, you know, I was in this maiden archetype and I was this um, really con um, dedicated to being smart and being um, having the best education. I went to an Ivy League school. So I was like, okay, I'm getting check, 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 check. I'm succeeding at life, you know, and I, I don't know, people like me, check, check, check. You know? And then it was like this baby shows up and all my crap starts falling out of me. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, okay, I'm not perfect. <laughs> what? I knew I wasn't, but like, this is terrible. What am I going to do with this? And I, now I've got this baby and he won't stop crying and he's pushing me to all of my limits and I don't know what to do with that. And I'm like, so overstressed that I'm seeing a hole in the middle of the floor in the bathroom in the, in the shower. And that hole is not actually there. It's just a black hole, but it's not really there. And I thought, uh Oh, <laughs> this is not good. So I got some help. I had been in psychotherapy from the time I was 15 because I had started early on that track with some flagrant behavior that my parents were like, you know what, we're gonna nip that in the bud. We're gonna put you in some counseling because there's something going on here. And we wanna be sure you're okay. You're, um, you're acting out, you're, you know, we don't know what to do with you. So I was used to this paradigm of psychotherapy. I was used to asking for support and going to get support, which I know a lot of people struggle with, but I actually was okay with that part. So I went into support and I, I got into a postpartum um, group with a therapist and I started working through and I started realizing this inkling of like what can of worms I had just opened by, ha by having a child and becoming a mother. And now what I know, you know, this is what like 21 years later, what I realize now through this whole journey of self-awareness and all the tools I employed and walking away from psychotherapy, walking away from those pills that were blocking all the ways I was couldn't feel things. I wasn't myself. And all the behaviors that came out of all of this pain of healing, what I know now is that we're multidimensional. We're, we have so much in our subconscious that is part of the journey of self-mastery. And that actually being a mother is a self-mastery program. And yeah, it breaks you apart and it cracks you open and it almost decimates you. And then it picks you back up and gives you more love and lets you go to the next mountain and you think you're great and you're like heading out on the big adventure and then it cracks you open and decimates you. <laughs> it's like that, right? So there's like, I, I guess I'm in this space now of like the inner narcissist in me, the one that wanted everybody to think I was perfect. She's just, she's just, I, I keep her right here next to me and I go, hi, sweetie. I love you. <laughs> like, that's cool. Yeah, we're a total wreck. Don't worry about it. You know, like it's okay. And none of it's in our control. Like I cannot control what my 21 year old does or doesn't do. I cannot mm -hmm. control what my 18, almost 19 year old does or doesn't do. And I can definitely not control these younger ones I got here in the house, you know, from my second marriage. So I, I have zero control over any of that. What I can do is be with myself, expand my inner capacity to handle uncomfortable things, get myself back in my heart, open, loving, gracious, forgiving, and present. And in the presence is the answer, right? Always in the presence and always in love. Like the answer has always been love through all of these things that my kids have all done and said. And then by the way, learning about myself and the inner storyteller, I have a really good story factory in my brain. I don't know if anybody else listening has that. I have this huge, awesome story factory. Yeah. It actually just got triggered last night. I don't know about anybody else, but like this last couple of weeks has been really intense. Like I'm at the next level of my development, at the next level of my growth. And every time I get to the next peak, there's like the corresponding next like Grand Canyon of stuff I need to work on. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I'm like in that process right now. And I had this experience where for a moment, for a moment through no reason other than somebody, one of my friends said something, I thought that meant something about my son. And I thought, oh my God, he gaslit me. He lied to me. And the story started. 
it just started spinning. And I was like, oh my gosh, what if he didn't do what he said he would did, he did? What if he actually lied to me this whole time? And all of that mechanism started. And thank goodness I was only getting my hair done with the hairdresser who has known me since 2005. <laughs> and I didn't spread it, okay? Like I told my mom, I was like, I think I'm having a, a psychosis right now. Like, I think I'm worried about my son. Like, I think I'm making stuff up that's not true just hold me down, like help me out through this because I know you're more of an expert because I uh, made you one because I'm the <laughs> same way. I'm like, I've lived a life of chaos. So I was able to use my tools to pull myself through that moment. And then not only did I not create the drama and the havoc I used to create by these moments of temporary insanity and mother worry, but I was able to see, wow, like that's how my brain works. Whoa. Mm -hmm. It could take just that little tiny fraction of nothing to confirm for me that everything is about to be doomed, right? Because I know for sure that shoe's going to drop. Mm -hmm. And that's really the thing we're healing, right? It's that. It's uh, do we really know the shoe's about to drop? Do we actually know that? Or is that just all in our minds and we're making this stuff up? And I got to say, my son and maybe anybody listening to this who has a unicorn child, my unicorn child is very psychic and he has told me for years, mom, I'm the same person, except that everybody keeps putting stories on me that aren't true and I can feel it. And that's the problem. Mm -hmm. Dang. So that was just a long way of saying like my trajectory and learning this whole mother thing and, you know, <laughs> navigating it with grace so that I'm creating self-healing i'm breaking generational patterns because yeah my mom like has a huge story factory in her brain too <laughs> she's <laughs> been my biggest example right and we're together we're working this out right like now we're aligned on the same team but we never were before so mm -hmm. it's all through this process of this claiming personal responsibility mm -hmm. we have to do that as mothers like it stops with me yep Absolutely. Well, and you, you know, when you're talking about the the profound shift that we undergo when we become a parent, you know, and this can happen with fathers as well as with mothers, you know, this, uh, you know, we can make all the plans that we want coming into this. We can make conscious choices, you know, to bring another life into the world, but we, we just don't know what we don't know until we actually have the human in front of us and it can just start to trigger us all over again, or it spurs and scripts, you know, into that subconscious that we didn't even know we're there. I mean, you know, we can't actually tell the future. We don't know exactly what we're going to be like until we get through those experiences. And, and, um, and I know that that's what, you know, I found for myself was most startling. And it sounds like you kind of experienced the same thing, which is, whoa, I, now I feel like this whole, like there's a whole nother thing going on in here and where is this coming from? And, you know, why is this happening and, and being able to, um, and I know, you know, the way I speak to this and the people that come in and listen to this is, you know, when you had the challenges in the past and that was the models that you saw and all the other things that are happening, of course, you know, parenting is going to be, feel really uncertain and scary. It's scary just in general, but then even more so when um, it triggers your inner wounds and your traumas and, you know, and things like that. And so, um, you know, I think that, uh, yeah, I appreciate you saying that and, and being able to express that for other people to get it. Like, you know, when people make it look easy, you, you don't really know, you know, what's going yeah. on really behind it's the scenes. It's interesting because this whole time you were talking, I've been getting this, and this doesn't happen to me normally, but I got this vision of like June Cleaver. It's like we've all been trained on this false model of like the June Cleaver or the Brady Bunch and all this kind of stuff. I know I was raised on that, on that television stuff, and it's so not true. It's a false model of mother, and it's one that we're never going to be able to fulfill. You know, that's the thing. It's like you, you, and by the way, we've tried to solve it with cookies. Has it worked? No, all of our kids are like, you know, look at, look at this generations, like us and all the generations since June Cleaver and all this kind of stuff came on TV. Like you can just solve it with a plate of chocolate chip cookies and milk. That is a lie. Mm -hmm. That's a lie. Like you got to get down in it. You got to get your hands dirty. You got to be willing to play in the mud. You got to be willing to get mud on you too, like covered in mud, you know, <laughs> and you got to be willing to be wrong and admit it. You know, and that's really the beauty. Like um, my my 18 year old, I got divorced, you know, so I'll just claim that, you know, I got divorced from 
their father because I just, after 20 years in psychotherapy and not having the adequate tools to get deep enough into the conversation to actually heal, I just threw my hands up. I was like, I can't, I have no more, I, you know, it's either me or not me. And I choose me because if I stay here, there will be not me, you know? So mm -hmm. I, I need to go. I got to that place of that desperation. And I left and um, of course it was all my fault and the whole, you know, the whole thing that follows every mother around the whole, you know, their whole life is all your fault. You're the one is, you know, all this kind of ruin the family, yeah, you ruin the family, the you know, yeah. and, and then plus on top of that, I was sexual. So now I'm like the seductress, bad mother, you know, that also got her sexual needs taken care of. That's just terrible. You can't have that. So, you know, all of these judgments, pretty much every judgment you could have about a mother who's, you know, uh, a woman, I got those because I did all those things. What I got from that, though, was I got this opening into being my authentic self, into being who I actually am. And what I've noticed happen is that the more authentic I've become with myself, it's taken a while for my kind of the the lies to peel back from my children's eyes. It's taken a while because there has been a campaign, an active campaign, you know, like, to, to prove me wrong. So because in, in the world, sometimes people need to be right, right? In this world, some people need to really be right. And I used to be one of those people. So, you know, I understand. But in that campaign to make me wrong, it took a long time for my sons to start to see who I really was in the middle of that family story. And as I just stuck to my guns, you know, my inner guns, and I was like, nope, I'm going to be who I am unabashedly, unapologetically me. And I'm going to show up in my biggest and brightest. And I'm going to let people throw eggs at me if they want, but I'm going to be me. As I did that, I started reclaiming my power. And there were moments of me crying on the front lawn by my fairy garden, sobbing, you know, <laughs> with heartbreak and looking like a fool. There were moments like that along the way that my kids saw, you know, pieces of. So I'm not like, I'm not all put together. But what happened in that process is my kids got to witness what a spiritual awakening looks like. Mm -hmm. And in the era of spiritual awakening, how valuable is that? That they got to see someone extricate themselves from the matrix of expectation, roles, ancestral history of suffering, human drama, and pull themselves out of the muck, dust off those angel wings and spread them. Mm -hmm. That's a gift for any child to witness. So the bravest of mothers are the ones who are willing to be muddy, messy, wrong, apologize. And it gives our kids courage. You know, so my 18 year old said to me last year, we had a conversation and it was getting very tense because you can imagine just the polarity and maybe you guys have been feeling this, like the polarity between the masculine and the feminine, the polarity between the fathers and the mothers, the polarity between you're wrong, no, you're wrong and all of this and the family dramas that ensue. He was caught in that tension and he was the only one going between all the places. So he was our bridge between all the, bless his soul. This is who he is. And he came to me and he just was covered in that slime. And he's like, they told me you're abusing me. And I was like, oh, you know, the mother's heart. Mm -hmm. My heart is broken. You know, like this hurts. Ow. And so he said, I said, well, okay. And so in the past, I would have just deflected that. I've been like, that's, you know, and I would have gotten angry and defensive. And instead I just said, wow, that, that's really must be very painful for you to hear. Let's talk about that. And I sat down with my son and I opened my heart. Was it hard? Yes. I opened my heart as wide as I could get it and stayed as present as I could be while he told me all the things that they people were saying and how he was being abused. And what it came down to was is because I wasn't giving him lunch money for cookies at school. Okay, so let's just get real. I'm not going to send my kid to school with cookies. If he wants to eat in my house, I live in a light worker house. In our house, we, we treat our bodies with respect. In our house, we limit sugar. In our house, we don't have gluten. We eat vegetables. We eat healthy things. We take care of ourselves. So it's not okay with me that you want some extra money to buy cookies. I'm not going to give that to you. And you can be mad at me if you want to be. So as we got through that conversation, he got to be heard. He got to be witness. I didn't argue with him. He just got to be heard. He got to say it all. And at the end of the day, when we got through that storm of fear and lies and everything else, like, you know, story making, 
we got down to the truth, which is, yeah, your mom's not going to give you money for cookies. But I love you. What would, what would you like us to get from the store for you so you can have a snack? Because we'll get anything you want. And the whole conversation changed. A couple more times we had conversations like this until we broke it. We broke that pattern of blaming the feminine and making her wrong. So that his, my son can have a mother. He can embrace his mother and love his mother completely without abandoning his father. It doesn't have to be an either or. It doesn't have to be a big battle. Mm-hmm. This can be a both and. That's the space we get into, but we're the ones as mothers who have to lead the charge there because it's not often going to be the other way. Right, right. Well, because there's, you know, there's a lot to uh, benefits to other people for staying in a box um, and not, you know, not expressing a lot of that freedom or feeling a lot of that freedom and that authenticity. You know, I know in my, you know, my personal relationships, um, the original parts of me, you know, didn't fit into what somebody believed I needed to be doing. So it was sequestered or shamed or put down or abused, you know, to stay put. And, um, and, you know, it, it, sometimes women, I think it feel like it's the, it's the lesser of two evils. Like I can, can I tolerate being, you know, neglected, abandoned or shamed in my own home, especially if you've grown up with a lot of insecurity around that because of being treated like that by parents you know, in order to fit into the need that they had for you? And, um, or is it, you know, more painful to, um, you know, to blow out of that and to make big changes, you know, and you, you said you've been divorced. I've been divorced like three times. So I, and I've not wanted that. It's not like, it's just like, oh, that's just my easy exit. Like every time I've made that decision, it wasn't an easy decision. It was the right decision, but it's not like something that was just like, oh, well, well, this one's wrapped up. We'll just go ahead and go file the papers and move on. So, I mean, it's, you know, those are challenging um, to, you know, to be able to be that. And, you know, what you said, I, I, I think is really powerful too, is um, I think that as parents, we take this idea that we have to have all the answers and our job as parent is give answers and um, to shortcut the journey for our children. You know, I don't want them to have to learn the hard way, right? That's a common phrase, you know? And, but you nailed it in a belief. And so I'm not saying it's the correct belief, but I'm with you on this belief, which is what's the most valuable thing that the kids can get. And that is to me, it is modeling that life isn't perfect, that we can make mistakes and and, and error, and then we can rebuild and we can grow and we can change because they're likely going to experience it in one form or another. And what's going to be more valuable, keeping out all the middle and just telling them what to do from day one or actually being vulnerable enough with your children to an extent where it doesn't get too boundary crossing, like, you know, depending on the, the, the developmental state, you know, where they're at the age, age appropriateness. But to be able to do that and say, yeah, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you what it's like to be broke and why and how, and I'm going to show you how. I'm not going to just tell you, save your money. I'm going to demonstrate what that looks like every day to change your ways. And I'm going to demonstrate what it looks like to go to therapy and to grow. And I'm going to talk openly about, you know, some of these subjects in a way that you're learning from the experience, not just telling you, you know, what to do. And, and then the showing up every day, because our kids are watching us, you know, they they watch every day. Yeah. That's mostly the, where the learning is, is the, is the things that we aren't making conscious, conscious choices, you know, to say or do something. It's just how we show up every single day. That's the thing that they, you know, that they actually pick up on and, you know, and take with them. I mean, right. Like that's the subconscious, right. Of what we all find about when we're healing is our subconscious is usually through the indirect messages that we got (laughs) repetitively over and over again. Um, that we access more often than we're aware of, you know, that that's what the kids are picking up from us on our, you know, our behavior on a day-to-day basis. Yeah. It's so much more important to do as I do and not as I say, I mean, it's, it's like if I've seen so many mothers and this is a piece I just wish I could communicate in the most effective way possible. And I'm still in the process of finding that way. It's like, I often see mothers who are trying to hold it all together until their kids leave the house so that they can then fall apart. And Mm -hmm. I'm saying, why would you rob your children of seeing the process of being a human being working through difficult situations and claiming your power from it? Why would you pretend that everything is fine 
and then leave them wondering, what am I doing wrong? Because my life's a mess and mom and dad always had it so easy and I must be doing it wrong. Why would you rob them of an actual demonstration of being a human being and bring them along with you on your journey? Obviously, yeah, you don't want to tell a seven-year-old about your breakup with your last boyfriend. But there's a way, I probably did that, by the way, so I probably broke that rule. But anyway, <laughs> you know, here's the thing. My 21-year-old, my he's a very empathetic person. He's, and I believe he's an older soul than me. And he's, in his evolution in his relationship with me and his speaking his truth with me at one point he said you know he was really angry and he was like you know mom I was like your counselor mm. for that whole like so many time and I was you weren't even here for me I was your counselor he's not wrong about that I was going through some big stuff and what I want to say on the other side of that is yes and aren't you an amazing mentor now you're an amazing mentor and you were never alone. You just thought you were. This is how I noticed the divine works, like with me and my mother. I always shied away from my mother because she felt so critical to me. Like she could say something and it would go right into my heart like a dagger. Even if she didn't want to hurt me, whatever way she had about her and my feelings about her, my inner, my subconscious realms, like we talked about, it would hurt me deeply if she, if I felt it was critical. And so I shut down myself around her. I would kind of shut down and just try to please her and try to get love and attention, but not raise anything up. And I was constantly vigilant about not creating a conflict, but she, you know, it didn't seem to be possible because she always found something or some reason or something happened where she would like get into a conflict with me. And I, so I, I could never figure out the magic recipe for not having a conflict with her, <laughs> which turns out to be part of the design. So as I look back now, you know, with the work I do with people, I, I do my own work first, you know, and I continue to do it. Um, I was like, okay, my, my mentors led me to the place where I'm like, you're right. This is my story I've made up about my mom. I have resentments. I need to face them. I've created a whole version of her that she's a mean mommy and I need to, I need to face my mean mommy story. Is it true? So I said, you know what? I'm going to use my tools. I looked up, I, I love gene keys. So I looked up her gene keys chart and I looked at her gene keys chart. And as I'm looking at this map of her soul's curriculum, I see the shadow of provocation. I see conflict. I see all these words that describe exactly the experience I've had <laughs> with my mom. And it's the light bulb starts to go off. And I'm like, oh, so I picked my mother to teach me about provocation and conflict and all of these shadows she has in her chart so that I could be prepared to do the work I'm here to do in this lifetime. And since I'm now aware of that work and I'm aware of what I'll say is the second wave, the second wave of volunteers on the planet of which I'm a part, and I believe you are too, that is making so much sense to me why I've gone through all the things I've gone through. And, and it didn't, it wasn't just like that. It was, it took some work. It took a lot of work, let's be honest, <clears throat> you know, to kind of let go of those, those stories and to let go of the pain and to feel the pain. And when I say letting go, I don't mean like, oh, I just like took that bag of trash and I just tossed it out and I'm done with it. Right. No. It's not that easy. <laughs> no, I had to like bring it all in. I had to take all that trash and love it right mm -hmm. in the center of my being. And then it transmuted. Then it alchemized. And I have to say, I was publishing, I was doing all of this deep inner work with writing the, the Love is Fierce, Healing the Mother Wound book for like two years, year and a half. I was going to publish that book and I still didn't know if my mom was going to be speaking to me. Mm. I thought, well, I'm going to be the biggest hypocrite ever. I'm going to put out this book. My mom and I still are fighting. And like, I was like, spirit, this is so not fair. This is really not fair to put me in this position. My narcissist is super unhappy right now. You know, like I'm going to be called out for being a fraud. And like, why are you making me do this? And I sent my mom the book like probably four months before I was going to publish it. I had a long lead time for her to take a look at it if she wanted. Because I wanted to be sure that, you know, she knew what was in it. It wasn't all about what a mean mom she was. It was all this other stuff I've been saying. 
mm-hmm. like the learning process, you know. Then like a week before Christmas, she texts me. I think it's time to wipe the slate clean in this family. And I'm telling everybody that. And I would like to see you on Christmas Eve for dinner. I thought, you're kidding, right? And I'm still, my hopes start to get up. Like, I'm going to launch this book in January. And we might actually, it's a good story. Like, I might actually have a good story to share. So we got together and it was actually beautiful. We had like this, I never actually felt safe with my mom before, ever. I never mm-hmm. felt safe. I always had this fear inside, like waiting for the shoe to drop, waiting for her to get pissed off. And I didn't know why and all of that stuff. It was so clean. It was like, wow, I can actually see you now. I see you. And not only do I see you, thank you. Mm -hmm. Thank you for the service you've been in my life. Mm. I have felt more love for my mom in the last, since that happened, I was been almost, you know, nine months now than ever. Like, I'm just so grateful. And now my older son is living with her and he, she's getting, he's getting all her mothering, which I'm like, good. He needs some of that. <laughs> <laughs> he needs some of your medicine. I'm glad he's with you because he needs your <laughs> medicine. He got mine and now he needs yours because he's got a lot of work to do in this world too. So mm-hmm. it's like, it's like realizing there's not even a need for forgiveness anymore. There's no need for forgiveness because I'm beyond forgiveness. I'm in gratitude. I know who I am. And I know who she is for me. She said yes to teach me all this hard stuff so I could be the person I needed to be right now in the second wave. That's who my mom is. She did mm-hmm. that for me because she loves me that much. That's pretty powerful. That's pretty amazing. Yeah. I mean, it's good that I, and I, I, there's so many parts there that resonated with me too. Cause when I started the show, you know, doing this, I felt like going into the second season of it, I needed to talk with my, my own mother. And I had, when I really started my therapeutic journey, like deeply, like once a week going in, seeing the therapist and unpacking and crying and, and, you know, um, you know, pulling all the garbage out and figuring out what's going on. And, um, and then at the same time, feeling heaping piles of guilt and shame over m- how I had mothered up to that point, you know, and having to understand that and, and reconcile, you know, the, the own pain and suffering that I put my kids through by, because, you know, when I got divorced from their dad, I became the part-time parent. I didn't follow the the normal roles of I take the kids and they go see their dad every other weekend. We reversed it because that's how much pain I was in and and struggling with the, um, and I'll call it what it is, it was the trauma of motherhood for me, which was, as I would learn years later, you know, again, where some of that origin was, but I remember deciding that I can't start my second season of a show talking about the suffering we endured in our childhoods at the hands of our parents without having a talk, you know, and so after, you know, months and months and months of, you know, of not talking and we never talked anyways. I mean, I'll I'll just put that out there. It's not like we were talking weekly or daily. And then all of a sudden I cut her off. Like we just like, when I did the math and added up the amount of days I'd spent with her since I moved to the Pacific Northwest and left my, my hometown in Kansas, I had lived most of my life without my mother than I had with her in my life. Like the total time of years I'd spent here, the number of days I'd spent was something like eight days total in like 18 years. And, um, and it was like, okay, that's weird. Right. Like, so, you know, some people actually like talk to their parents quite often and here I am like moved out, left it. That's a sign. There's a signal in there somewhere. So once I was ready to talk to her, I get this phone call from, I get these, you know, weird text messages and these weird phone calls. And from my mom that are like, they don't make sense. They're like nonsense. Like she's repeating herself over and over again. And then finally my stepfather calls me up because we need to have a talk. And I knew something was wrong. And when I got on the phone with them, my mother in the course of time during the cutoff developed dementia. I mean, there, she was just, there was no ability. And I had, I had my doubts. We'd be able to talk because we were, we were never in sync with this emotional connection. Like I would have deep, I'd want the desire to have deep conversations. You know, you can see the books behind me. Like I was a reader, a writer, a thinker, a problem solver. My mother was Peter Pan, you know, very childlike, 
um, you know, uh, not able to get there, you know, much deeper in the surface. So I didn't have expectations that this great talk would lead us to anywhere, you know, but I felt like it was a, a duty to, to disclose and give an opportunity to at least invite that conversation. And then you find out like the conversation will never happen. Like it's gone. Like the, you know, the moment is passed. And there was this weird sense of peace of knowing that, um, she's free from being judged right? Like when you don't know that people are judging you, you're not being judged, <laughs> right? Yeah. Well, you for, um, I think that's what Alzheimer's all about, you know? Right. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and so then it was like, okay, well, what do I do with this now? And because I have like my, my relationship, like, you know, you talk about with yours being like a fear, mine was always rage and anger. Like I just, I could not connect unless, because I just, it conjured up so many so much hostility of being mad at what was going on, what I was seeing, what I was witnessing, what I was experiencing. And I just couldn't like it just my fight drive in me uh, just was so strong that uh, I avoided. I just I had to just cut off. Otherwise, I just felt like I was enraged at all the time. And so I had to figure out a way to be able to solve this rage. But like the I went back with my kids finally to visit family just this last spring and Actually, I think having her sitting there and she could do nothing more than smile, which is great. I mean, like I sit there and think of like, if all the states of consciousness that you could be in as your faculties leave you, the best one I can think of is to be able to sit there and smile and still laugh, right? Like, so, you know, I, I'm, I'm grateful. I see this woman now as a child all over again and needs a mother, right? Like, I mean, that's where my, I think mm. I came to is that, you know, what she needs for me is, to, is the mother that I'm becoming for my own kids, just to be tender with her you know, and nurturing with her. And so then we unpacked a bunch of stuff from her life that my grandmother, who's passed away many years ago, had saved away. And what I got to see now was the woman who she was when she was 18 years old, when she became pregnant. And I got to go through all these photos that I'd never seen of her before and begin to put together and realize that my mother's trauma was from becoming a mother because she didn't want to, but she got pregnant and it was 1971 and, you know, we can talk and debate politics what we want about this, but there aren't a lot of choices that women would have. And her family told her she needed to continue to have this baby. And she was not the woman that was ever probably would have ever chosen to be a parent, to be honest. In fact, she said it many times in her life that she didn't really ever want to have kids and that she should have never been a mother. And yeah, your mother telling you that as you're growing up. And so I looked at this of like, man, what a tragedy that this poor 19 year old ended up being burdened and she tried. I saw that. Like I was able to see a baby book that I'd never really been able to look at. I could see the notes of where she was, she was trying this, you know, the mother thing. And, um, and it, it really did it finally for the first time in this last year, diffuse the anger, I think in the same transformative way of being able to then look at that experience and go, I have a better perspective of what this was. Is it fair no, it's not fair to have children have to endure hardships and dysfunction and to, you know, in rejection and abandonment from the, the most important person in their life. Um, but I understand, you know, and, it, and that's equally tragic. And then I found a picture, too, that um, of her sitting in a chair and she looks my daughter looks just like her. And my daughter has the same really kind of unbridled spirit and energy and even like some, you know, amplified passion, you know, anger, like she can be very expressive. And I thought this is a second chance for my mother to be parented in the way she should have been and to be able to do that through the daughter that I have now and to know and see, like, I can see what would happen to my daughter if she passed through the same journey that my mother did and I don't want that for her because I, I lived half of my mom's life with her. So I know where it, it leads there too. And, um, and it was like in this last year, like I said, just super powerful for me in a lot of ways. I imagine for you to be able to kind of like, and that is healing, right? Like there's a wound in there of my wound as mother and the wound of my own mother and her mother and how motherhood itself in some people becomes the wound. You know, Definitely. the act of be, the act of becoming the mom can actually be the knife that and I know for me, that's what broke me open. I had all the checklists, too, until I became a mother and then everything fell apart in my life. You know, everything fell apart because it's the path of mastery. I mean, I love this piece that you brought in about your mother and I can see I can see the divine design or at least I think I can because it's really a parallel of the work that I had to do on the inside in order to embrace my mother 
is, um, you know, I got, I got really accomplished at holding my own inner child, learning how to be the mother for me that she needed me to be, my little girl inside. And then I realized that I had to get over my story that it wasn't fair, that I had to mother my mother the way she didn't mother me. Because at some level, the conversation that came in for me was, I know who I am. And I know I'm on this path of mastery. And so what would be appropriate for me is really different than what would be appropriate for maybe a younger soul. So I can have this experience of giving to my mother what she wasn't able to give to me, which was safety, Mm -hmm. safety. And as I opened my heart to give safety to my mother, a couple things happened. It's like, I realized that at some level, when you step in to be a mother, the invitation is to be a mother for everyone, like everyone, unabashedly agape love for every single human being, starting with the ones closest to you including yourself, right? Like yourself first and then your kids and then your mom. And then it branches out, right? It's like clients, other people. It's like, there's this way that a mother's heart is, it is infinite in its expanse. If we allow it to be, if we lean into that space of willingness to throw out the conversation about, is it fair? Is it not fair? It just is. If you're Mm -hmm. capable of loving in that way, do it, you know? And, and then that is the mastery, which is why I always reach out to mother, mother leaders, because I feel in my heart of hearts that humanity is suffering. And I know that our time on the planet is questionable because of our actions and how we treat the planet. And I say that not to make people go into fear, like, oh, crap, don't talk about extinction. Yeah, and the apocalypse, (laughs) it's not coming, (laughs) right? (laughs) Don't talk about the, I don't want to hear that. I don't want to talk about that, head in the sand. Okay, so we don't need to, like, fly away from this conversation right now. It's actually important for us to stay present with what's actually happening and not hide from it. And the only way we can do that is if we feel safe and loved. And so who of all people on the planet understand the conversation of creating safety and love for other people than a mother? It's us. We're the ones we've been waiting for. You know, we're the ones that get to become that grandmother tree, that circle of grandmother trees around the whole earth that says, whatever comes, we shall be loved and held and safe and supported until the last moment. And maybe there'll be no last moment. Maybe it will go on infinitely on earth and we'll all be fine, right? But either way, we're not leaving the conversation. Like there's no way I'm leaving my babies on this planet by themselves. Mm-hmm. And that's, that is the warrior spirit of a mother's heart. We just don't give up. And that's the lesson, that's the mastery path of being a mother is I'm going to stay in this conversation, even though it's hurting me because I'm not going to give up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, I agree. And, and it's for people, I think too, that feel like that it's not them. Like they don't feel that, like they feel like they have given up in there. You know, I might challenge and just say like, that's somebody telling you that you should. It's not because you actually feel that way. Right. Like that's, that's somebody else telling you that you're not good enough to, to hang in there and to keep going. But, you know, our, our basic wiring is to, is to survive, you know, at, at any, at any means. Right. And like I said, I, you know, and I'm, I with you, I hear all that. Like, you know, um, my daughter is standing about 25 feet away from me right <laughs> now, making a sandwich before she goes to work. Um, and I remember like the, I call it my fiercest act of motherhood was when I realized, wow, you have work to do. And if you don't, 
who cares about you, Ami? You know you can survive. You've already done it. You're like the cockroach in the nuclear war. Somehow you've managed to rebuild over and over again. <laughs> yeah, seriously. But at this point, if you don't, it's your kids who suffer. And so get your shit together, do whatever it takes to be able to do that and keep working on it because that's, you owe them that, right? You know, and not out of some, you know, strange duty, but just out of that, again, fierce act of motherhood to do the thing that needs to be done. And that means, okay, getting more serious about my own growth and, and what I need to do to become at least minimally bare, low bar, at least be the mom that they deserve to have, be able to get them through and be the model and the guide and the teacher and, and give them the safety and the security that they haven't had to that point. And then after that, you know, um, once they're, you know, their wings have sprouted, then you can, I guess you can come back to you and start working on it. But of course, when you're working on being the mom, you end up parenting yourself through the process. Like, cause you have to, like you said there, be, be your own mother first, right? Like, because you're triggered. It goes back to what we talked about at the very beginning. Like, your sometimes your little girl shows up and tries to be mom, especially if you grew up being uh-huh. mom as a little girl, right? Exactly. <laughs> it, right. And I had found that so many times. So you, you, you know, when you're learning how to be a, a mother, you know, and to mother yourself, obviously it extends to your children and vice versa. Like it's a, it, like you can't do one without the other. They'll just naturally, you know, sync up and happen together. Yeah. It's so important to not delay the work like if it's speaking to your heart and you know that you need to start this kind of work the introspection and the self-discovery and the claiming of your power it's it's time to do it you know whether your child is like just got born or is 30 or 50 or 70 it doesn't matter like whenever that wake up happens that's the moment and the opportunity is to realize that as we demonstrate how to heal ourselves by being transparent vulnerable, present with our kids, letting them see pieces of it, right? Appropriate pieces like you were talking about, like not lying and saying it's all fine or not repressing and saying, I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm okay. Every time I hear that those words come out of my mouth, I question myself now. If I say, mm-hmm. oh, it's okay, I go, wait a second, am I stepping over something? Because I'm not sure it's always okay. You know, <laughs> I think I need to go back and look at that again. If those words come out of my mouth, because that's my repression meter. I know that repression happens with those words. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, I'll just put that aside or uh, I won't do I can't deal with that right now. I'm too busy. I got to focus on this. Now, we actually have to make spaciousness. It, the healing that happens in presence is not just for us. It's for seven generations forward and seven generations back. So -hmm. if you want to actually be effective in being a mother, your role is to do that work for your ancestry and your descendants. That's your work. So if you, if you want to just make a minimal impact, sure, you know, just keep focusing on the literal third dimension thing that's happening in front of you right now and get distracted and just focus on that and meals and soccer games. And if you do that, that's a small game. You can still do that. It's great. But it's not the biggest game you could be playing. Mm -hmm. If you really want to make an impact for your kids, your grandkids, your future generations to come, the work happens in presence in the now, in that inner mastery. Mm -hmm. And it's work. Right. It, I, is I think it is work. I mean, it doesn't have you know, to be miserable, but it, no, it doesn't. It doesn't. But it is effort, <laughs> you know, and I think that that was one of the things that really startled me about the whole starting the journey was uh, how often like, you know, it, it's a conscious thing every day, you know, depending on the depth of it. But even, you know, the seriousness at which we take it and we apply ourselves to being able to see the changes happen. It's an everyday Every day, something happens. I'm either re-regulating every day. I'm doing, I'm, I'm, I'm getting curious about something that happened. I'm, you know, taking note, like you said, did I sidestep something? Am I suppressing something? Am I not, you know, am I, because of the pruning of the old ways and, you know, and, and bringing in the new ways, um, it's like a garden. You can't just do it one time and walk away from it. We'd start popping up and you got to go back out there and pull them and, and, you know, and manicure it, manage it. And so it is truly an everyday thing. And I think sometimes people want it to be fixed. Like, I wish I could have had my kids all happy within like a couple of months of them moving in with me. Therapy there, we're all good. It's not, in fact, it's, it's ongoing. It's continuing of course, and it will be for the rest of their lives. But then even ourselves, you know, we awake and we keep going forward and then something, you know, either re-triggers us or it's a new experience that elicits a whole nother thing. And so just, you know, it is truly, truly day to day. 
So let me, um, okay, well, no, go ahead. Did you want to add on to that? Yeah, I, I just, wanted to talk I, about your work too. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. I just wanted to say like, we have to get, we have to just let go of that June Cleaver model, <laughs> right? I mean, just like let that whole idea go. Like that idea is false and just let that go. And in its space, there could actually, rather than dread about the challenges and things coming up with our kids, rather than like sheer dread and trying to hold it at bay and prevent it, we could actually be just delighted by their growth. Like we could be delighted by our growth. We could be delighted by what's coming up that gets us a chance to evolve or become more conscious about something. I mean, we could we could just be excited about that. We could actually embrace it and be delighted by this process that we're learning and growing through rather than like being so afraid of it and dreading it. So I think if we just switch out, if we just let June Cleaver go be her like in the 50s, <laughs> <laughs> we we can step into like the actual mother that's ready to get gritty with her kids and be like, yeah, okay, let's roll up our sleeves. Like, what's up for you today? I mean, just just feel for a moment what that would be like to be so embracing of the grit that you could be such an advocate for your child that they would feel so safe with you that they would come and have a conversation with you about something challenging coming up in their life and pour their heart out and give you a chance to give. Mm -hmm. Oh, come on. That's way better than June Cleaver with the damn cookies. <laughs> right. <laughs> For sure. Oh, cool. Well, so the book you're coaching, I mean, here, like at the end of this, people are going to want to look at, look you up, figure out how to find you. So let's talk about how to get to you and um, and what in the work that you actually do because I, I it'll be um, when people land on your website they'll see something different than the therapist that I'm linking over to that you know I've done an interview with and stuff and that's what I love you know one of the things that I've been doing this season is actually bringing in a lot of different healing journey perspectives um, because yes you know for me um, you know traditional therapy has worked but also I'd already I'd already been even before I'd gone into that like um, you know practicing mindfulness and meditation and exploring, you know, Buddhism and a lot of other religions. Like I've never been really locked in. So I've always been very fluid, but definitely for me, I, I found a channel that worked for me that was very instrumental in my growth, but I've had so many amazing guests come on and their journeys are all different. And when we're all journeying towards happiness, right. And, and being able to have a compassionate viewpoint of our history, however we get there is how we get there. And there's no really for a lot of people, there's a multitude of ways of doing that. And so I know your journey is different in the practices that you actually help and support. And we heard it, you know, the listeners hopefully have picked up on some of the, um, some of the work and the spiritual nature of the subconscious work that you do. So describe your um, process and the work that you do with the people that you help um, so that everybody can get an idea of what uh, more about Carrie Hummingbird. Absolutely. So you know, I think I want to preface this by saying, I think, I can't remember the exact number of hours, but I think in many traditions, like it's a hundred thousand hours of practicing something that makes you the master of it, something like that. And I, I must have had at least that many hours of psychotherapy being on the couch. <laughs> so <laughs> I want to add that into my credentials, even though I'm not going to get a formal, like, acknowledgement of you know, <laughs> yeah. Western medicine, but, you know, 20 years of weekly psychotherapy, I think I probably got through 100,000 hours. <laughs> um, so I want to say that, uh, you know, I know how to navigate thought tunnels and mind mazes and all that kind of stuff. But the, the piece that I add is depth. So the, the thing with mind-based um, practices is that they only really serve the mind. And all of the juicy stuff that is going to actually propel you forward once you're frustrated with your mind is all like down in the emotions, in the body, and in the subconscious. And even to get like woo-woo out there in your past lives, if you believe in that, and, and really in your ancestral experience, you don't even have to think that's woo-woo to believe me on that one because science has proven that we inherited all of our, the trauma of our ancestors in our very own bodies. Mm -hmm. So Epigenetics. Epigenetics. So that's yep. all inside of our bodies. So all of those experiences uh, need a new system of navigation. And I know how to help people find that system of navigation for themselves. So the work I do is about self-empowerment. It's about sovereignty. And it's about healing seven generations forward and seven back and becoming that beacon of agape love in the world for yourself and your kids and your family and everybody, you know, everybody you serve, being a leader of that. So that's my big medicine. The way that I do with the how 
is I have a couple of different programs. One program I introduce people to um, Andean shamanism, which is Incan shamanism. So if you've heard of, you know, the Incan people, um, their descendants are still alive today in the Caro, living high in the Andes mountains that were not um, conquered by the Spaniards. So they kept this medicine alive. And so I have these teachers also teach my students. They're, I'm part of a lineage. And we learn how to walk this path with our own mesa, our own portable altar, with our own medicine stones. So in effect, becoming a medicine woman. So this is the, the path that I teach. It's, uh, it's, ten, it's very tangible. You hold your stones. The stones transmit wisdom to you in this way that your Western brain goes, I don't understand that. And you don't have to because the shamans do. You don't need to understand it. Until all of a sudden you do and you're saying, how did I understand that now? Because I held my stones for like a whole day. I don't know. Something came in. I started understanding things. So this is kind of stepping out of that. I need to know what it's going to happen and how's it going to work and all that kind of stuff. I do that. I hope you step out of that need to know so that you can actually know. And uh, the other work I do is in the healing the mother wound. And I flipped the script on that work. And the program I have launched now is a six-month odyssey. Um with ceremony and ritual, which most, you know, a lot of people, if they're coming from the psychotherapy realm, they're like, what is ceremony? What is ritual? Well, a wedding is ceremony. It's just that there's a whole lot of other ceremonies, like, I don't know, initiation into motherhood. That could have been a ceremony that would have cleared up some of this chaos so that you didn't have such a rocky start into be becoming a mother, right? I yeah, mean, something more ancient, than just a baby shower. <laughs> freaking ancient traditions, you know, like we're yeah. bringing back the ancient wisdom into modern life and reclaiming it from another level. And so the work I do is really blending um, ancient wisdom of the I Ching, if people are familiar with that, through what's called the Gene Keys, which is a system created by Richard Rudd, which I adore. It's perfect as it is. I don't need to change anything. And I just merge that in with the Andean shamanism, which is Incan shamanism, thousands of years old. And I merge that in with my specialty of healing the mother wounds that most of us are doing at the time right now on the planet. You're doing it. I'm doing it. Lots of teachers are doing it. And this is just my blend. This is how I bring people through that work. So we go through the Venus sequence and we do healing your development all the way back into the womb. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you get rebirthed. <laughs> so uh, speaking this too, like if a person is sitting here considering, like, is this the route for them? What would you say? Like how, what kind of questions might somebody ask themselves to, to have an understanding if they wanted to understand is working with Carrie the route that I should consider taking? Like, what what might they be missing? What might be they be asking themselves? What might they be feeling like they're they're searching for? Do you you, under, you understand what I'm saying? Yeah, I, I think yeah. the main question is, have you had enough? If you've had enough of the way it's been, book a discovery call and we'll see if I'm the right one. And if I'm not the right one, I'll refer you out to somebody else. But if you've had enough of the way it's been, then you're ready to become the weaver of your own destiny. You're ready to become the mother that weaves the web, the story of life that you want to have for yourself and your children and for the planet. But it has to be when you've had enough. If you're still kind of dawdling in that old story and you still like to talk about it every week in psychotherapy couches, it's fine, no judgment. But this work is really about when you've had enough and you're ready for something new. That's when the magic can really happen for a person. And it is a magic door. I will say I'm one of those magic doors. I'm not the only one, but I'm one of those magic doors you can step through into a whole new way of being. If you're had enough, we can make magic happen. So that's what I'll say about that. And, um, you know, I don't, I don't work on proving anything. Mm -hmm. I did for a long time. I played the game of proving and convincing. Until I realized that, no, because the people that actually need this medicine, their hearts are going to tell them that it's time. Their bodies are going to tell them it's time. They're going to get chills all up and down their spine. Their heart's going to open. They're going to have that longing inside, and they're going to hear my voice. They're going to say, I need you. I need this medicine. And so I don't need to convince or prove anything because if I'm in that game, I'm talking to their ego. Mm -hmm. And I'm talking to the soul right now. So for all the souls I have contracts with, you're listening you feel like you're ready. I'm here. I signed my dotted line. All you got to do is sign yours. Let's have the conversation. So, yeah. 
yeah, my website for like pragmatic details is uh, kerryhummingbird.com, K-E-R-R-I, hummingbird.com. And there is a game I offer people for free, you know, as a way to kind of get into my, my world of magic. And it's called the Love Mastery Game. It's a fun way to get introduced to like earth shamanism, earth spirituality, um, learning about animal guides and plant medicines and things like that. It's just a fun way to get acquainted with that whole way of thinking or being, <laughs> as in my case may be. And you can print it out, it's all free. And just get yourself a 12-sided dice because then you can roll the dice. That's fun to you know play a game. I like games. Uh, so that is carryhummingbird.com forward slash play. Cool. And I'll have the link to that in the podcast notes so everybody can actually just push the button yeah. on your, your phone. <laughs> and, and play. There and play the game. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, and you know, and I ask, I'm with you, like when you're in the work of healing with people, uh, you know, hard sells and used cars don't work here. <laughs> you know, that's not the thing, right? It's kind Anybody, of a waste. <laughs> it is. And, you know, and for any of us that really do care, like we, we all know that we have different fitments for one another, you know, and that there is no one way. And that's why I said, like, I like to be able to have like a, you know, variety of experiences for people to realize that if something's working for them, like we just talked about this, like, you know, if you, if people can't see the real messy process as it happens and that it's different than when they are and, and, and they're being told like, this is the only way, but somebody's going, man, that way doesn't feel authentic to me. It doesn't feel good to me. And, but I'm getting it from over here, but yet all the experts air quotes around that, because I'm not one of them. I'm just an expert in me, you know, is saying that it's only this way here. Then I, then am I wrong? Like, am I broke? And that's why it is, you know, to ask the question is, is like, as people explore their journeys and their ascension to this better life, you know, um, this better state for themselves, uh, you know, being able to show and give everybody these other access points, I think is really important to it. And, and I love it. Like I wear a tiger's eye in a crystal around my neck every day. <laughs> I love um, my crystal friends. Yeah. You know, and I, you know, and I'm not the, you know, I'll caveat this, like, I don't have a million crystals around my house, but you know, I love the idea that there's some energetic pieces of our world that we don't actually know. And the more you study science, the more you realize you don't know, <laughs> you know? And so I feel like science actually really works into this of like, just because it doesn't have like, you either have to prove it like it exists. No, if you can't prove it doesn't exist, then it's on the table. Like it's all out, it's all out there. Right. Um, and so like, for me, it's like, yeah, I, I think that there are so many other things that we just, I mean, we we're such a speck in the universe and there's so much energy around us. Why isn't all these other things still just a hundred percent as possible. And then when you, you see, um, you know, some really miraculous things happen in life, it's like, yeah, okay. You know, I, I, like I always say, I always have space for, you know, miracles and spirits, you know, and spiritual things to actually happen for us. And so to take an approach of, um, you know, tuning in, in in a way and connecting with ourselves in a different way, you know, it makes me happy. So, you know, have it out well, there. Yeah, I like to say, run the experiment. You know, I mean, the only way to know if you're in your ego or not is to say, yes, try it out, run the experiment and see what happens, right? I mean, I do mm -hmm. individual sessions too. So it's not like you have to commit to a whole six months to work with me. But, you know, I, I like this idea of like, well, okay, my ego is telling me or my brain is telling me, la, 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 I doubt, I doubt, I doubt. Well, what would happen if I ran the experiment for just a fraction of a second to believe for just, you know, if I can, I just expand my belief for one second. Mm -hmm. And because I did that in my first healing. And in that one second that I said, I'll believe for one second. I felt the energy come over me of unconditional love. And I felt a healing begin in my heart. And that whole healing culminated in a little crystal in my hand that was a soul retrieval. And when the shaman placed it over my heart, I burst into tears. I didn't even know why. Mm. And he told me, that was your innocence. Wow. That's what I'm talking about. That was the healing that put me on this path. Cool. 
Carrie, this has been a fantastic hour meeting you. I, man, I loved you. it. I, I, you're my soul sister. I can't get enough. <laughs> yeah. Well, I just, I think that this is, you know, the work that you're doing, um, being able to be another voice talking about the experience, you know, of, of motherhood and parenting, you know, not all my listeners obviously are mothers. You know, I think that my listeners is about 50, 50, not all my listeners are even parents, Right. But uh, somebody said, a friend of mine said way back in the day when I started the show um, that you didn't have to be a parent to get something out of the show. The reality is, is that if we exist, we had parents. And so just having this understanding and perspective of everything, you know, is always, you know, to me, it's always important, especially for a growth minded person looking to um, to be able to, again, be better better towards themselves and better towards other people. And so this has been, you know, I love this conversation. This is a great conversation and I appreciate your vulnerability and sharing your experience with your mom. Um, that was, I didn't want to, uh, um, make sure I didn't acknowledge that for you, that that was, that was powerful. And thank you for that. And I thank my mom for allowing me to have these conversations and for trusting me to honor her as I'm having them. Cool. Thank you for listening to One Broken Mom. You can find podcast notes on my website at amiquiraconi.com. And there I'll provide all links to all of the resources that we mentioned on the episode. Also, if you have any questions, comments, or ideas for other episodes, feel free to send me an email. And if you are interested in sponsoring the show, I'd love to have you be a part of the team. Finally, if you like what you hear, please share the podcast and leave a review so that others can find it. We are all here to get better together. I am the host, Ami Kurakoni, and as always, I am super grateful to have you as a listener. Until next time, have a great day.